0: Excited today to launch our New Year 2022 theme, and before we do that, we're going to take a review of all the previous themes we've had. Our very first theme uh, as a church family in 2014 was the theme, Follow Jesus, it was our theme. If you're here for Follow Jesus theme, raise your hand. Like four of us still, good. Uh, 2015, our theme was God is able. If you remember that theme, raise your hand. i got a handful more, all right, that's good. 2016, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. If you're here for that, raise your hand. Good. 2017, transform. Raise your hand for that. Good. 2018, alive together. We went through the book of Philippians that year. Raise your hand. Good. 2019, launch out. Remember that one? Okay, it's good. Getting closer for some of you. 2022, magnify Jesus. went through the book of Philippians together. Good. 2021, bold as a lion. Raise your hand for that. 2022, sure and steadfast. Raise your hand if, if you didn't raise your hand. You're just not paying attention. Okay, this is our thing for the new year. Really excited about that. We're going to take the next uh, eight weeks and preach through biblical hope, uh, not hope that the world offers or wishes or things we hope would come true, but really what does the Bible say as our source of hope? And so, grab your Bibles. Turn to Hebrews chapter nine uh, this morning. We'll take a look at our theme verse. Uh, which is Hebrews uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse number uh, 19 is our theme verse. We're going to be Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to start in verse number um, 10. So Hebrews chapter 6, so we're starting verse number 10 this morning. If you're a first-time guest with us here today, who we call me, first of all, I'll just say thanks for being here. We're delighted to have you as our guest. Uh, I'm delighted that you would spend today worshiping with us. I'd encourage you to to come back, and if you're looking for a church home, I'd highly recommend that you drop Anchor here. I believe, I might be biased, but I believe that this is the best church since the book of Acts. Um, I might be biased, but it doesn't mean that I'm wrong, so keep that in mind. Uh, But uh, again, I always tell people, Call is not the church for everybody, but if it is the church for you, come here. Put down roots uh, and and serve Jesus with us. It would be a delight for us. If you have the Hui Kala app on your smartphone or your mobile device, which if you don't have that, you're behind. So go ahead and download it now. Uh, What you can do is actually you can click on uh, on the homepage. You can click on today's message. And it'll take you to a button that says fill in notes, which will open up a web browser for you, show you all the blanks we're going to take a look at. You can fill in those blanks on your mobile device. All the verses that we'll cover today uh, will be in there for you. And so I would encourage you, if you don't yet have the Who We Call app, you can get that and follow along that way. Otherwise, just grab your Bible and uh, something to write on and take some really good notes uh, this morning as well. Hebrews chapter uh, 6, uh, we're going to start in verse number uh, 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, when it says to the saints, he's talking about other Christians. Uh, We don't pray to dead people. uh, We don't revere dead people. When it talks about ministering to the saints, it means serving other Christians, serving other believers. Uh, Verse number 11, We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he couldn't swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men verily swear by greater, and in an oath for confirmation to them is the end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of his promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Now, if you're getting through this and you feel like this is getting kind of muddy and unclear, just hang tight with us. We're going to go through this, and it'll be crystal clear by the time we're done. Just hang tight. But that by two immutable things, verse number 18, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. When we talk about hope, when it comes to the Bible, this is not a dream, it's not a wish, it's not a goal. The word hope means a confident expectation. In God, based on his character and the promises of his word, it means I know God is going to do this beyond a shadow of a doubt. When we think of hope, we think of encouragement. I know that this will come to pass because God has said it to be so, and that brings in me a a sense of eagerness, a sense of anticipation, a sense of excitement, and a sense of peace because I know that God will do it. That's the type of hope that we take a look at when we talk about biblical hope. Everything in the world today uh, seems to be in flux. Uh, Facts, if facts can change, facts change from week to week. Science, if science can change, uh, changes from week to week, uh, we begin to learn things that we didn't know last week and things that we thought were true six months ago aren't true any longer. The way that we used to do things two years ago, we don't do those types of things anymore. (laughs) I saw a sign, I was at Long's yesterday picking up my wife's prescription. And the sign uh, at the pharmacy said this, Due to COVID-19, we no longer have COVID-19 tests available. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Wait, what? Due to COVID-19, we no longer have COVID-19 tests. Thank you. What is that even? The the person that wrote this, is their first language English because this makes no sense whatsoever, right? But here's the thing. This is normal. What's normal? Chaos? Confusion? Frustration? Frustration? And we begin to look at this and go, wow, we don't do things like that anymore. We went on vacation this past summer, and we were uh, staying at a hotel which had an airport shuttle. They said, we no longer have an airport shuttle due to COVID-19. What does that even mean? Like, you can't put people in a van and take them to the airport because of what? So I have to call an Uber or a taxi to put me in a van to take me to the airport? This just doesn't even make sense. And so we look at the world around us and go, this is, some of this stuff is just flat-out crazy, right? Right? Where can we go that we find things just normal? Well, Let me just tell you, we can't roll back the clock. Uh, we can't build a commune somewhere and I'll just uh, go live there where things are just normal again. We, we don't find normalcy in a place. I'm going to help you with this this morning. We find normalcy in a person. We don't find hope in policies and procedures. We find hope in a person. And so when we talk about finding something that we can hook onto that feels familiar, finding something that we can latch onto that just feels right, it's not going to come from anything that this world has to offer. It comes from the person of Jesus Christ. And our theme verse this year says that you and I have an anchor for our soul that is sure and steadfast. And we'll take a look at what that means to us this morning. First of all, as we jump into the message this morning, I want you to see from verse number 13, that first of all, we have hope in God's promises. Again, an eagerness, and excitement, and expectation because of the promises that God has made to us. This is why I encourage you every single day of the world, start your day in the Word of God because it will help you, it will encourage you, and it will give you hope. If you start your, your morning with your social media feed, followed by uh, the news headlines, followed by an hour of Fox News or CNN, I'm telling you this, you will not find eager anticipation to go out and kill the day. I guarantee you that. You'll have an eager anticipation to probably kill someone, right? Because... Hope isn't found in those places, but that's where, unfortunately, many people allow their minds and their hearts to be shaped. But you and I, we have hope in the promises of God's word. Verse number 13 says this, that God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater. He swore by himself. This is calling back to one of the very first major covenants that God made with mankind. God makes a lot of promises. The Bible is full of the promises of God, but there's unique relationships in which each person is required to do their part uh, that God calls covenants. Uh, the first covenant that some people may or may not include as being a covenant is uh, the Adamic covenant we found in the book of Genesis where God tells Adam to go out uh, and to uh, populate the world, be fruitful and multiply. Some people call that a covenant. Other people said it was just a commandment that God gave mankind. Whether you count that one or not as a covenant doesn't really amount to, to, to a lot. It's just good discussion material. Second uh, covenant that we find in Scripture, or maybe the first major covenant, is the Noahic covenant. Where God told Noah, I will never destroy the earth by flood again. I will never judge the entire earth by mass destruction in this manner ever again. That's the Noah covenant where God made a covenant with man. The next big covenant that we get to in the in scripture that affects everybody on the planet is what we sometimes refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the Abrahamic covenant is a promise that God made Abraham, which is what the writer of Hebrews here is telling us uh, in verse number 13. That God made a promise. Abraham and here's the promise that he made Abraham from you I will give you a land that is yours to inhabit that will never be taken away from you I'm going to give you a seed and this seed is going to be more than the stars of the universe more than the sands on the beach Your seed will go forth, and a great nation will come from you and your wife Sarah. Now, this was a big promise to Abraham because he was old. They tried having kids. His wife was barren. uh, They couldn't have kids, but God promised, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And the third part of the Abrahamic covenant is a blessing. And so if you want to break that down, land, seed, blessing are the three parts of the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, from you, all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you, Abraham. And that was a promise of the coming Messiah. Back in Genesis, when God told him, all the nations from you will be blessed, that meant that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came from Abraham's son, Isaac. And so roll it back to the book of Genesis. God makes a covenant with Abraham that would affect you and I even today. And so when God makes a promise, he always keeps his promises because God's promises are unbreakable. You see, you and I, we break promises from time to time. Did you know that there are entire industries and entire occupations whose job it is to write rules, enforce rules, and make penalties if you break the rules? Those are called attorneys and contracts. Their whole job is to write rules and make sure you keep your promise. If you fail to keep your promise, here's the ramifications of such. If you've ever rented a car... You've made a promise. If you've ever bought a car, you made a promise. If you've ever financed anything in your life, you made a promise. If you've ever rented an apartment, you made a promise. And so we make promises, but here's the fact of the matter people break promises all the time. That's why there must be contracts. It's not like it used to be uh, back in the day where where two men could just give a handshake and that was good, Uh, that was uh, bonding. No longer is that the case. The fact of the matter is, that wasn't even the case in the Bible. They had to make contractual agreements because people break promises all the time. But here's what God says. God says, I'll never break my promises, not one. What does that mean for you and I? That means that we have hope. If God says something, you can guarantee he's gonna come through on it. If God promises to be faithful to you, you can take his faithfulness to the bank because his promises are unbreakable and it's impossible for God to lie. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God's promises are unbreakable. God couldn't lie if he wanted to. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24 again, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Think about this. The car that you drive will someday wind up in a junkyard, pancake flat. The house that you live in one day is gonna be bulldozed to make room for something bigger and better. If you live in Honolulu, it's probably gonna be a condo, right? (laughs) Bulldoze where you live, put up a high-rise. It seems to be the the trend around here. But the fact of the matter is is even those big high-rise condos, one of these days will be flattened to the ground. This building that we sit in this morning, this room that you're in will not stand forever. Someday, it's all gonna burn, it's all gonna be flattened, it's all gonna be turned to dust, everything. And that day, when the entire Face of the planet is a desert wasteland. The word of God will still stand. Isn't that amazing? That of all the things that have changed throughout human history, the word of God stands. God's word is as good as it is today as it was two thousand years ago. When God says something, you can guarantee He's going to do it. Titus chapter one verse number two. Paul's writing to Titus, who's a young pastor. He's giving him advice on how to be a pastor. And he starts off Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2 and says this, in hope of eternal life, which God, and he stops and says, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Did you know that one of the greatest promises that God ever made was the promise of eternal life? That promise was made uh, flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, you see, you and I need eternal life because we don't keep our promises. We don't keep God's word. We don't keep God's law. We've all broken God's law, every single one of us, myself included. The Bible says in the book of Romans, there's unrighteous righteous, no, not one. That while I've broken God's law, you've broken God's law, we stand in danger of God's judgment now because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You see, every single person on planet Earth will one day stand before God. The book of Hebrews tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. And so the day that you and I take our last breath here on planet Earth, we stand before a holy God who will judge us according to our works, the Bible says. That should be a sobering thought for us because this life will not last forever. But when we stand before God, we won't be able to say, I was a good person, I did good things, I tried to live a right life, I went to church a lot, I tried to help people that were less fortunate than me. God is not interested in any of that. God wants to know one question and one question only. Who's gonna pay for your sin? You can pay for it if you like, and the way that you can pay for your sin is everlasting punishment in a place called hell. That will even the score with God, and God will say, that's a good payment, I'll take it. But God doesn't want you to go to hell, did you know that? God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The Bible says that God doesn't even rejoice in the death of the wicked. That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to be forgiven and doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But friend, that's a choice you've got to make for yourself. You see, I I deserve to go to hell, you deserve to go to to hell, but Jesus died in our place. Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died in my place. You see, I was supposed to go to, to, to hell and be punished, but Jesus was punished in my place. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died for me. But friend, you've got to make that decision for yourself. Will you put your faith in Jesus? Will you be saved from your sin? Will you be born again? Those words saved and born again are synonymous. They mean the same thing. And Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3 No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You need to be saved. There needs to be a time, a date, a place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you've never had something like that in your life, today's your opportunity. This is the best hope you'll ever get for the rest of your life is to do this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven, and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me today. If you would truly pray a prayer of repentance and mean it like that in your heart, you can be saved like that. You don't have to attend a class. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to go to uh, come forward. We don't have to bring you up on the platform. You just have to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins, and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins, and you can be saved in a split second. Because being saved is not about being a good person or good church attendance. It's about faith and repentance. And, friend, if you would come today and say, I believe those things and repent of your sin, God would save you in a split second. And that is the hope that every single one of us need. Because you know this and I, our days are numbered. Like, I know all of us hope to to live to to be 105 sitting on a a rocking chair on the front porch somewhere with our great-grandkids in our lap and singing songs. I hope that happens for you. I really do. But you and I also know that that's probably not realistic for most of us. That when the average life expectancy for a a male in the United States is 76 years old, that means for 44, like me, half of your natural life is over or more. But that doesn't mean anything. I mean, I could die by next weekend. I need to be prepared for that. And the only way that I can be, be hopeful for what comes next is hope in Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how do you know that that's true? Because God said it. And God always keeps his promises, and God cannot lie. And so whatever God promises, eternal life through Jesus Christ, you can take that to the bank because it's good. And so you and I, we have hope in the midst of God's promises, but we also have a hope in God's oath. If you've ever had the opportunity to go to a courtroom and hear a witness give testimony, they place their hand on a Bible and they raise their right hand, and they ask them, do you swear or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. And the person says, I do. Some people say, well, that's just a formality. Actually, it's a commitment that that witness is making that everything that I'm going to say going forth is completely and totally true. True. Now, some some Christians even have a problem uh, swearing an oath like that, and so that's why they say, do you swear or affirm? Are you agreeing that what you're getting ready to say is true? Because the Bible actually tells us that we shouldn't have to swear. That your yay should be yay and your no should be no. We talked about this last Sunday night when we talked through the book of James, but anytime you're around somebody who has to swear about the truth all the time, like I swear on my mother's grave I'm telling you the truth. Why would you need to swear on your mother's grave? Why can't you just tell the truth? Are you known to be a liar that you would have to swear? That it would be like an anomaly for you actually to tell the truth? And so Christians shouldn't have to swear on anybody's name. And let me just tell you this. When you swear by the name of God, like, oh, I swear to God I'm telling the truth. That's blasphemy according to the Bible because you don't have the right to swear by the name of God. That's his name, not yours. You don't have the right to swear on your mother's grave. It's not your mother's grave, it's yours. It's not your, your grave, it's your mother's. And so God says, we don't swear as Christians by anything because the Bible says you don't have a hair on your head that God didn't put there. How Who are you to swear by anything that you have? So God says this, just let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And so that's why sometimes, you might not know this, but when uh, people are required to give an oath, like whether it be uh, to swearing in ceremony for something, do you swear or affirm? Hey, I might not swear that that's true, but I will affirm and say I am telling the truth from here on out. But here's the, the, the awesome thing about God. God gives us an oath and God actually swears that he's telling the truth. Did you know that? It's fascinating that God, who cannot lie, God who has unbreakable promises, would actually choose to swear. But if you take a look at verse number uh, 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? That God swears by his own name. God says, I did it, I said it, and I'm telling you, I stand by what I said. You see, God doesn't need to prove himself or back up his word, but he chooses to. Isn't that fascinating? That God knows that you and I are skeptical. That we don't trust it when somebody just makes a promise. And this is woven into our human nature, the idea of distrust. My daughter is a little; she's four. And if you tell her you're going to do something, like say, "Hey, Dad, can you give me some chocolate milk?" I said, "Yeah, I'll get it in a minute." You know what she says? Pinky promise, Dad. And we have to shake pinkies, and I'm really going to go get chocolate milk in five minutes, like I said I would. Everything. Pinky promise, Dad. Why? Because she knows there's times where I say I'm going to get chocolate milk and I actually don't. Right? She knows that at four years old that people break their promises, and so she wants an oath. She wants an agreement. We shake pinkies and I'm really going to do what I said that I was going to do. And God says, I know you're skeptical. I know people have let you down. I know people have hurt you. I know people have made promises to you and broken them. People that you loved and trusted and respected. So I'm going to give you my word. I swear by my name. Take a look at, the, keep your finger here in Hebrews. We're going to come back in just a minute. But Turn back to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Fascinating story. Abraham, God makes, makes him a promise. I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. God gives him a son. His name's Isaac. Isaac grows up, and contrary to this, most people's interpretation of the story, Isaac is no longer a little boy. He's actually a full-grown man. If you trace out the timeline, Isaac's a grown man at this point. They come to a place of Mount Moriah where God says, I want, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac up the mountain. and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham says, okay. Now again, not little bitty boy Isaac going up the hill. Grown man Isaac. They start walking up the hill and Isaac says, Dad, you got a knife and you got some wood there, but uh, where's the sacrifice exactly? God says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Now, again, when you look at that and you say, hey, God's going to provide a sacrifice, But some people believe, and I believe, that God doesn't include anything in the Bible by accident. That God is actually foreshadowing the sacrifice of his own son. And Abraham's word that God will provide himself a sacrifice actually rings true in the personhood of Jesus Christ. Now, is that semantics? Is that a cute wordplay? I don't know, but I believe that God provided himself a sacrifice through his son, Jesus Christ. I think it's a beautiful foreshadowing as well. And so they get up there to the... uh, the altar, and Isaac is bound and placed upon the altar. Now, again, mind you, Isaac has the opportunity to overpower his father, who's over 100 years old at this point. And it wouldn't have even been a fair fight, but Isaac willingly lays down to be sacrificed of Abraham. And right as Abraham is about to plunge the knife into his son Isaac to provide himself a sacrifice before God, the angel of the Lord stops. Abraham says, stop, there's a ram over there in the thicket, take that and sacrifice it instead, thus sparing his son. Now again, if you want to read ahead and and see this is a picture, this is a picture of God the Father who offered up his, his own son as a sacrifice, but did not hold back, offered a complete sacrifice in his own son. And so now we find the angel coming to Abraham a second time here in verse, uh, chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse number 15. That's the, the context of what's happening. Verse number 14, God, Abraham called that name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The angel of the Lord called, verse 15, angel of the Lord called Abraham out of heaven a second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. So again, I've sworn by myself these things. Verse 17, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is upon the seashore. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Verse number 18 is really important because you and I are sitting here this morning because God kept his promise. Verse number 18, where he says, All the nations of the world will be blessed. They'll be blessed through Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sin and establishes his church so that you and I can have fellowship, community. We can grow in God's word together so that we can impact the world for the kingdom of God. That's the promise that God made to Abraham in verse number 18. (laughs) So if you want to run this back 4,000 plus years, God's still keeping his promise. He swore by his name, and he's been good to his promise. He's faithful like that. And so you and I have hope in the fact that God has given us a promise of his word and has sworn by his own name. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23 I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. So you and I have hope this morning because God has promised. And he doesn't break his promises. God has given us his oath. He's sworn by his own name that he will take care of every possible need that you and I come across. And we also have hope in God's immutability. Turn back, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 6. The word immutability means unchanging. It means that God is always the same. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. In other words, God made promises, God gave us his word, and his word never changed because God never changes. And that should bring some level of comfort to you and I because here's the fact of the matter. The God who created the universe by speaking it into existence, is waiting to hear you pray today. The God who provided manna from heaven for the children of Israel in the wilderness is waiting to hear what you need this week. The God who parted the Red Sea and allowed a million plus Israelite refugees to walk through on dry land, is waiting to hear what you're facing this week. That's the same God that you and I pray to. That's our Father. And Jesus Christ, that if you're a child of God, is your Savior, He said to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, He'll do it. And again, there's another promise. And Jesus Christ is God, therefore, His promises are binding, bonding, and you can take them to the bank because God does not lie. And so the fact that God is unchanging should bring great hope to your heart this morning. Angela and I probably, in almost 20 years now, uh, had uh, the church that we were in at the time had partnered together with this uh, ministry from the mainland who basically did fair evangelism. And so they would set up booths at uh, county fairs and stuff like that. And so they set one up at the fair at Aloha Stadium. And they had a, a display tent that you had to walk in. Like you buy your tickets out front and you had to walk through the tent to be able to get to the rides. And so everybody who was going to the fair had to come through there. And so the, uh, the group that we were working with uh, that does fair evangelism, they had a big, huge sign that said, come see three things that God cannot do. And everybody's just like, well, God can do everything. No, he can't, actually. You want to come see? And people are all the time like, yeah, I want to see this. I want to prove this wrong. And so it was this little interactive display, and there were these little doors that you opened. Come see three things that God cannot do. And so the first door you open, open it up, and it says, God cannot lie. And you're like, oh, I see what you're doing here. A, there's things that God can't do. God can't lie. Okay, fine. What's number two? And you open it up, and it says, God cannot change. And they're like, oh, okay, God can't change. So there's two things that God can't do. Well, what's the third thing? And you go open up the third one, and it says, God cannot let you into heaven with your sin. And you're like, what do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked. Would you like to come sit down and talk about what that actually means? <laughs> God can't do it. I'm just telling you it's something that he can't do. And so you'd have the opportunity then sometimes often to sit down and share people, with people the gospel. And so it was kind of neat, though. But you think about yourself, you think in your mind, well, there's nothing that God can't do. Yeah, God cannot violate his word. He can't break his promise. He cannot tell a lie. But God, at the same time, cannot change. That's why, again, pet peeve of mine is when people say things like, well, I'm a lot more of a God of the New Testament than a God of the Old Testament guy. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Same God. He can't change. He couldn't change if he wanted to. God is not evolving God is the same. And here's the thing, that should bring us encouragement. That shouldn't be discouragement, it should be really good. Oh, God never changes, he's always the same. And so, when we look at who God is, we need to be very, very careful and beware of progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity on the surface might sound like a really positive thing. Like, hey, uh, Christianity is moving forward or going the right direction. The idea of progressive Christianity is the idea that Christianity and our faith is constantly evolving. And that's problematic. Because we don't need a faith that continues to change. We need a faith that is always the same. And again, I want to help you with something this morning, and many times churches, I believe in my opinion, it's just my opinion, take it for what you want, I believe they get it wrong when they say things like, well, we just need some old-time religion, or we need to go back to the old ways, or we need some good old-fashioned Christianity. And when people think that in their mind, what are they thinking that old-fashioned Christianity means? Does that mean that mom's in the kitchen with an apron on baking chocolate chip cookies while the kids sit around and sing Bible songs in the living room? I don't know if that's what you think it means, but that's not what we need. We need to come back to, if anything, we need to come back to not old-fashioned Christianity, but biblical Christianity. How about that? Not like the Christianities of the 50s and 60s, like the Christianity of the book of Acts, Christianity. That's what we need. So we don't need old-time religion. We don't need to go back to the old ways of doing things or anything like that because generally when people talk about that, they're talking about a certain time frame in American history where things were better than they were today. And let me just tell you this. All that needs to be scrapped in favor of biblical Christianity, not cultural Christianity. There's a difference. And we don't need cultural Christianity. We need biblical Christianity. And you know what? Our, Our missionaries that are in Ethiopia, you know what they're doing? They're doing biblical Christianity. You know what they do? They gather people together, they sing songs of praise to Jesus, they preach the gospel, people are saved, baptized, discipled, and they're growing together in their faith in a community of believers. You say, well, how is that different than what we're doing? It's absolutely not different at all. It's the exact same thing. Well, are the things different because they're in Ethiopia or Nigeria? Absolutely, for sure. There's cultural things, but they don't make a a different brand of Christianity. Christianity just is what it is. And so the American church often runs afoul by we ask questions, well, what type of music do people like? and What type of uh, things do, uh, do people want? They want a shorter message, more music. They want lower lights. They want, uh, they want different types of things. Hey, what does God want from us? What does the Lord expect from us? And the idea that we need to take Christianity and pull out the difficult parts to make it easier to digest for our culture just doesn't add up with the Bible. You don't get to do that. Well, when you say things like, you know, that women can't be pastors, that's not very popular. It might not be popular, but it's ultra-biblical. You can't get around that. You can't argue with that. The Bible is what it is. Well, I know, but we need to be more accepting. Hey, Jesus is the most accepting person I've ever met in my entire life. I want to be like Jesus. John 1.14, he was full of grace and truth, but he never compromised the truth for the sake of grace. He never compromised grace for the sake of truth. And when a woman was caught in adultery was brought to him, he said, hey, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. he says, then neither do I condemn thee. He goes, see, Jesus didn't condemn anybody for their sin. No, he did not. But he said, go and sin no more. Hey, you've been sleeping around with other dudes? I'm not gonna condemn you for that, but I'm telling you, you can't live like that any longer. You gotta change, woman. Was that gracious? Sure. Was it truthful? Absolutely. But we don't get to say now, adultery is okay, sexual sin is okay, fornication is okay, homosexuality is okay. And you say, well, why are we going through the homosexuality thing? Hey, if you missed last Sunday night, we went through gossip, slander, lies, boasting, bragging on yourself. If you, missed, if you want something that will hurt you, take a look at last Sunday night's message. That was for you. Look, we are an equal opportunity hater of sin around here. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. You got a sin, we hate it. And I don't care what it is. So again, when, when people want to broad brush all Christians as homophobes and bigots and stuff like that, that just doesn't hold water. Look, I love every single person on planet Earth enough to tell them, if what you're doing is wrong according to the Bible, you just can't live like this any longer. Look, I've told heterosexual couples that have attended our church that were living together, hey, what you're doing is a sin and it displeases the Lord and you need to make it right before God. I love you enough to tell you that. I'd be a terrible pastor if I just looked at that and go, that's really cute, you guys are living together, I bet you're saving a lot of money. No. We have to come back to what does the Bible say? Because we don't don't take Christianity and make it fit in the box of culture. That's what progressive Christianity does, and that makes an absolute train wreck of biblical Christianity. The Methodist Church is currently going through, uh, as a denomination, is currently going through a massive denominational split. Like the the United Methodist Church is trying to figure out, there's a group that want to stay conservative, and by conservative they mean uh, they want to stand for traditional marriage and to not ordain uh, homosexual ministers. And then there's a more liberal side that wants to split off from that, who wants to ordain homosexual elders and and ministers and things like that, and, and... to champion the cause of gay rights and gay marriage and things like that. And then there's the, the conservative side wants to stay. And so, in the middle of a split, they're trying to figure out how do we divide up all this property and how do we determine who gets what money and things along those lines. It's a big, huge mess right now. Uh, and so, again, we're not Methodists, so we don't have a dog in that fight. It just is what it is. But it's interesting as you see these two groups argue about, and the ones conservative wanting to hold to conservatism, where did all this start? It started actually back in 1968 when the Methodist Church decided they were going to ordain female pastors, which is against Scripture. And so here's the fact of the matter. When the Bible no longer is your guide, you can do whatever you want. I mean, all, the, all the rules are off. What do you want? Uh, you want a puppy dog to be our pastor? We'll do that. Everybody likes puppy dogs, right? Maybe we'll have a pet blessing service, and we'll bring everybody in. We'll pray a prayer of blessing over their, their dogs and anoint them with holy water. You go. Know, that's crazy churches do it no lie what yeah it brings a crowd in because the bible's not your guide any longer you can do whatever you want and there's a group of uh, of methodists who said we're not gonna wait for the methodist split we're gonna go ahead and split off of that anyway it's called the uh, liberation methodist connection as you go to the liberation methodist connection website on on their homepage, the very first sentence of this should cause any discerning christian to go wait a minute i see where this is going here's their statement on their website We are people of faith committed to living into and out of the wisdom and compassion of a historical Jesus, a brown man of undetermined sexual orientation who arose from a people bowed down under empire. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Jesus now is an immigrant. He's a minority. And we don't really know if he was gay or he was straight, but he was held down under the power of a strong empire, and he wanted to rise up. I see what you're doing here. Let me just tell you this, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And let me just tell you this, when you call the Jesus of the Bible a man of undetermined sexual orientation, that's blasphemy of the highest degree. And it's sick. But you see what's happening here? They're setting up a Christianity. I'll use that in air quotes because it's not Christianity at all. They're setting up a flavor of Christianity that appeals to the needs of the day. What is that? We need an oppressor and the oppressed. And we need to raise up the oppressor to show how much we care about social action and social justice. (laughs) And it goes on. His prophetic witness calls us to a risky engagement with powers and principalities and compels us to overturn tables of systemic oppression. Let me just tell you this. Anything that's of faith is not risky. Let me just tell you that. In our quest for justice, we consciously avoid theological litmus tests and external creeds. You know what that says? We don't care about the Bible. And it just gets worse and worse. We're a people led by God's spirit. Let me just tell you this: If you're not led by the spirit of God, you're led by the spirit of Satan. And if you're not a child of God, you don't have the spirit of God, and so you're not led by the spirit of God. That's for sure. In a way that welcomes dynamic evol- evolution of our beliefs, our practices, and our systems. Again, the idea that Christianity is an evolving faith, God is an evolving God. It's a moving target that you may or may not hit. And our vision is founded on the prophetic leadership and active participation of black, indigenous, and people of color, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual people, and people with disabilities. These collectives live at the intersection of direct social action and theological reflection. What a mess. But this isn't Christianity, folks. And let me just tell you this. Uh, John Wesley would roll over in his grave if he had thought that Methodists would say something like that. That's for sure. But where did all this nonsense start? It started when we set aside the Bible as our final authority. Do whatever you want now at this point. And again, we live in a society now where that that phrase intersectionality is the idea of how oppressed you are. If you study out things that are, are an abomination before God, like critical race theory, you get more points for the more intersections that you hit. For example, if you have a white pastor who grew up in the South, you get zero intersectionality points. But if you have a gay, female, half-Asian, half-Hispanic pastor, then you get more intersectionality points because that person's more oppressed than a white guy from Kentucky. And so that shows that you're championing the cause of those who are underprivileged and underserved. Wait a minute. What about the Bible where it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, neither bond nor free, but we're one in Christ? What about that? You want to find true justice? True justice is found in the person of Jesus Christ, not some hogwash mission statement. Come on. But here's the thing. People, there are people who don't know any better who would look at this and go, wow, so affirming, so powerful. Yeah, Jesus was an immigrant too. Jesus, I, I've seen a t-shirt. I, I wanted to, to slap the people that made it. Jesus was also an illegal immigrant. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was born in Nazareth. He's born, he was a Jew. And you think he was an illegal immigrant. God gave us his lineage back to, his, his, back to Abraham, for heaven's sakes. Come on. But again, if we can create a religion where Jesus was also an illegal immigrant, then it feeds liberal mindsets of politics and all this other nonsense. Stop it. Just go back to the Bible. The, we don't take Christianity and make it fit our culture we take the Bible and allow it to give us perspective on culture. And know this, we are not of this world, the Bible says. We're not supposed to fit in here. We're supposed to stick out. We're supposed to live counter to the culture. And Jesus says, you'll either be with me or you'll be against me. You've got a choice. And just know this, any church that says what the Bible calls is sin is something to be celebrated, it's an anti-gospel. Because the gospel says your sin puts you to death and needs to be repented of. The anti-gospel says your sin is okay and we're going to celebrate that because that's, quote, diversity. No, it's not. It's sinfulness. And so when you hear that term progressive Christianity, it's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity doesn't need to progress. God's already given us his word. He's unchanging and we should be too. And you see, the fact that God never changes should allow us to have an unwavering source of hope in him. The fact that God never changes should be like, hey, I've got something that is gonna stick around for a minute. Look, 100 years from now, every person that you know is gonna be dead. But you know what, 100 years from now, God's word will still stand. I don't know. Hey, if you're like me, you're, uh, every time the mayor or the governor speaks, I wanna know, what are they saying that directly affects me? Every single time. And here's the thing. I don't know what rules are coming out next week or the week after next or six months from now. Here's what I do know. Six months from now, God's word will still stand. A year from now, God's word will still be around. Ten years from now, God's still gonna be faithful. You know why? Because he's always been faithful. God made a promise to Abraham and he kept it. And you and I are here this morning worshiping Jesus because God made a promise to Abraham and he kept it. Any promise he makes to you and I, you can guarantee he's good for it. Psalm 33, verse number 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever in the thoughts of his hearts to all generation. Proverbs 19, 21, there are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless the counsel of the Lord that shall stand Not only do we have hope in God's promises, God's oath, God's immutability, but we have hope in God's refuge. When we talk about refuge in the Old Testament, there were six cities that Moses set up that were called cities of refuge. They were a place where if you had accidentally killed someone, manslaughter, you could go to the city of refuge and basically wait it out, and in the cities of refuge, you could not be attacked You could not be held liable for the things you had done wrong. You were safe there. And it's a place where if you did something wrong and you could get there in time, you had a safe place that you were held unaccountable for what you had done wrong. And it's interesting that when God chooses to tell us who he is, verse number 18, two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope before us. It's interesting that the word that God uses there is refuge. You know why? Because Jesus is our place of safety and protection. You know the place that you and I can run to when we've really messed up? Jesus Christ. (laughs) How about you guys? When I was a kid, I would get in trouble and my mom would say, hey, you just wait until your dad gets home. And that's when you knew it was bad. Like my mom, we got to get a little bit older and my mom would spank me and I would laugh. And she'd be like, yeah, that's fine. You wait until your dad gets home. And then I would hear my dad walk in the front door, and I would go and hide. I'd go in my room. Here, here's what I would do if I was really in, in trouble. I'd go in my room, and I'd lay out all my homework like I was studying. Like, like oh, don't, don't bother me right now. I'm, I'm really in the midst of the periodic table, you know. I don't want you to break my concentration. But I'd run and hide. I'd find a place to hide. But here's the thing. I always got found out. I was hoping my dad would forget I was hoping that he'd take it easy. I told hoping he'd let it slide, but I always got found out. My hiding places were no good. Here's what the Bible says, though, that, that God is our hiding place, that Jesus Christ provides safety and protection, and you'll never be found there. You'll never be harmed there. See, Psalm 32, verse number seven. This is a, a e verse. I not you to turn over there, if you would. Turn over to Psalm, uh, keep, keep your finger in the Hebrews. We're coming back in just a second. But don't you take a look at Psalm 32, verse seven. This is a good promise for you. And again, God keeps his promises, and so you might want to hang on to this one. Psalm 32, verse number seven Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble, thou shalt compass me about, that means to circle around me with songs of deliverance. Selah. The word Selah in in poetry and the the songs, basically stop and think about that one for a minute. Give you a pause to take in what you've just read. You're my hiding place. You'll preserve me from trouble. And you'll compass me about with songs of deliverance. My daughter Tallulah, who's who's four, she used to be really good about riding on airplanes and didn't get freaked out by bumping and stuff like that, but lately, in the last few months or so, she's like super anxious about flying, and so time before last, we flew, and the flight was pretty bumpy, and she was screaming and crying, and I don't know about you, but I hate crying kids on flights, and so now mine's the crying kid on the flight, and so, so I come back, and sit on Daddy's lap, and so I sit her down on my lap, and she's freaking out, and she's crying, and so basically, I bear hug her and hold her as tight as I can, and I put my face against the side of her head, and I just started singing. I sang, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And we just sang and we rocked. And, and I held her until she stopped crying. And she settled down. And I sat back and she goes, keep singing. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> keep singing. And so the whole flight, I'm singing. But you know, when you think about that, the Bible says that when we're in our hiding place, that God circles us with songs of deliverance. The God's crazy thought, Now, does God literally do this? No, but the idea is the same, that God circles around and sings us songs of encouragement. We're not just hiding out, hoping this all goes away. He's there comforting us in the midst of our hiding, in the midst of our need for deliverance. And I don't know about you, but there's some songs that you heard this morning that you're gonna need this week. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall my praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free, the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. You're going to need to remember this week that all the way your Savior leads you. That, that song we sang, all the way my Savior leads me. It was written by Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was a famous hymn writer. Fanny Crosby was also blind. Interesting. She always needed somebody to lead her and tell her where She was going. You know who led her all the way? This is my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Pretty neat song, huh? Think about standing on the promises of Christ my Lord, bound to me eternally by love's strong cord. Man, I need that this week. You need that this week. You need to be led by the Spirit of God this week, by the Son of God this week. You need to stand on the promises of God's Word. And maybe you're going to be sitting in traffic this week and you just need to stop and remember, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. I'm talking about songs of deliverance that God sings over you and that you can sing to Him. Because He's your hiding place. That's why I encourage you, cut out all the garbage music that you have in your life. Fill it with worship music that draws your heart closer to the heart of God. Praise music that makes you want to lift your voice in thankfulness to God for all that He is and all that He's done. So we have hope in God's refuge. And verse 19 tells us, and this is our theme verse. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 6, if you would. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 19 is our theme verse this year, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. So we have an anchor for our soul. That that anchor is Jesus Christ. You see, in in Bible times, when a big boat was gonna come into harbor and dock, the only way that they could come into harbor was to be brought in by the sails. And so there wasn't any wind, there wasn't any way to go. If you had oars in the boat, if it was a big boat, you weren't gonna get very far by paddling it in. So oftentimes, larger vessels that were coming into the harbor what they would have was they would have a smaller boat and there would be a person that would get off in a smaller boat with an anchor and they would take that anchor that was tethered to the boat and they would go find a strong solid rock in the harbor and they would tie off the anchor to that rock and then the boat could stay in the distance for a little while or they could start to pull in the rope on that anchor and slowly begin to bring that boat into the harbor. And it's interesting. The person who was in the boat who took the anchor out to tie it onto the rock was called the forerunner. Interesting. If you take a look at verse number nineteen, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, which entereth into within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Here's the big idea: the harbor, the safety is God the Father. How do we get our big boat that can't get into the harbor on its own to a safe resting place with God the Father? We need somebody to pull us in. And the forerunner is Jesus Christ, who has the anchor, who is the anchor, sure and steadfast, tied off to the solid rock. Do you see that? Goodness. And the Bible tells us that the anchor that we have for our soul, Jesus Christ, is sure. It's sure, that means it's immovable, it's unshakable. The word sure means to fasten or to make secure. It means it's tied down tight. Everybody who's ever tied something up to the top of your car, whether you pick up lumber at Home Depot or Lowe's and you can't fit it all in the car, you tie it up, right? And you get your tie-down straps or if you're like, Bold and crazy and borderline psychopathic. You take that twine that they have. I would never tie up something to the top of my car with twine. You guys are nuts. I've seen you do it, but I wouldn't do it. We had tie-down straps, right? Ratchet straps. <laughs> and what do you do after you think you got it ratcheted down? What do you do? Shake it. You pull it. You jerk on it. You pull the strap to make sure it doesn't go through. And what do you do? If you're like me, you tuck it up under there and then you pat it one time on the top. Like, done, right? It's good. You might not add the pattern at the end, but I do. Why? Because now you know that it's sure. It's fastened down. It's tight. It's not going anywhere. That's what the word sure means, to fasten down securely. And our anchor that we have of our soul that's tied off to the solid rock is Jesus Christ. And that anchor and the connection that we have, it's a sure connection. It's tight. It's faithful. It's trustworthy but it's also steadfast. That word steadfast means trustworthy, firm, and durable. It's unwavering. It's firm. It's good. And so when we say that Jesus Christ is our hope, the anchor of our soul, he's sure, he's steadfast. He's a solid connection that keeps us securely tight to God the Father, and we have hope there because this connection that we have is an anchor for our soul. So when difficulties and trials come, and they will, you can know this, that your anchor holds tight. It's good. All you gotta do is make sure that you keep that connection with Jesus connected and your anchor will hold. Some of you are gonna face things in the next 12 months that you did not anticipate, guaranteed. Some of you have already faced things this year that you didn't anticipate, guaranteed. And I'll just be really honest and direct with you. 2021 was the worst year of my life, by far, for our family, by far. Like, I don't even have a year in my mind that would compare to that. Things were outstanding for our church. We saw our church grow, and we and saw record attendance and, and giving and people being saved and baptized and discipled, banner year for our church. Our family was the worst year ever, by far. But I'll tell you this, 365 days out of 2021, Jesus was always faithful, 12 months of that year, God's promises were good. Man, 52 weeks last year, never once questioned the anchor that I had. Never once. Was it hard? Hardest in my life. How'd you make it through? I had a sure and steadfast anchor that was tied off to a solid rock, that when difficulties come, I just got to hang on. And I'm hanging on waiting for the storm to pass in a hiding place, singing songs of deliverance with my Father. That's how you make it through. That's how you'll make it through this year. And I'm not just asking you to survive and wait this year out. I'm asking you to actually thrive this year. Get out there, get it done. Live for Jesus like you've never lived for Jesus before because you have a solid connection that's faithful. So... Three final thoughts and we're done. First of all, when life gets difficult, we need a place of refuge. You need a place to run You get tired this year and you need a place to sit down and catch your breath. But please don't misunderstand. We're not going to sit and rest until Jesus comes. This is not just like a hangout place until our number gets called. You sit down, you get what you need... You get encouraged, you get back out in the fight, and you get after it. That's what we're going to do. Because this refuge that we have, we go to it when we need it. But the Bible tells us that God is also not just a place of refuge. He's also our son. He's also our shield. He's also for us, fighting for us in the midst of battle. And that the kingdom of God will be won as we engage our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when things get tough, you need to retreat, you need to dial it back, Jesus is the place where you find that. And let me just help you with something this morning too. When we retreat to the person that Jesus is in difficult times, please understand, we never retreat from the things of God and we never retreat from church, the people of God. I can't tell you how many people say, oh, we're just really going through a rough spot right now. We're not going to be at church for the next few weeks. What? No, you're going through a rough spot, so you better be at church the next few weeks. No, no. you need the people of God, the Word of God, more than you've ever needed it in your life if you're going through a rough spot. And so when we retreat, we never retreat from the things of God. Well, I'm just going to take a break from reading my Bible for a while because I'm going through a rough spot. No, you need to dig into the Word of God. You need to dose on the Word of God. Well, my wife and I, we've been, things have been rough with us, and so we didn't want to come to church because things aren't great with us. Things aren't great with you in your marriage, you need to be in church for heaven's sakes. You need the help that the Word of God offers. You need to be around the people of God. And I've heard people say, well, well I don't want to come to church and just fake it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't have to come to church and fake it. Come to church, sit down. Allow yourself to be encouraged by the people of God. When somebody says, hey, how you doing? Say, man, I could really use some prayer right now. Could you pray for me this week? It's not lying. Everybody just expects me to be happy. Nobody expects that of you. And stop making excuses to not be in God's house. You need to be in God's house with God's people. You need a megadose on the word of God. You need to be with the people of God. And you need to be led by the spirit of God. And you don't do those things by retreating from things of God. Dig in deeper. Next, with so much instability in the world today, we need something that never changes. You know, it's fascinating to me that so-called science and facts change so quickly. Isn't it strange? I would have a lot of respect for people if they just said, hey, we don't really have a clue as to what we're doing. If you could just like, hang with us for a minute while we figure this out, it would be helpful. I would appreciate that. When people say things like, you know, you must quarantine for 14 days because you'll be sick if it's 13 days. Actually, it's not 14 days, it's 10 days. Now, it's five days. Now, if you're positive but you don't have symptoms, it's no days. Wait, what? Yeah, science is evolving. Uh, science isn't evolving, you just don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and again, I would have respect to say, hey, folks, we don't really have a clue to what we're doing. If you could just stick with us. We're trying to figure this thing out as we go, but to speak authoritatively, it just Come on. I don't know about you, but I lose faith in, quote, science. Lo- Here's a crazy thing. I lose faith in facts. When you find out that people aren't reporting all the facts, or they're changing numbers, or they're deleting things, or they're making qua- qualifications for the facts that they use, and you're getting two different sets of data, and, like, I don't even trust facts anymore. What's something that I can trust? Word of God. 100 times out of 100. <laughs> I don't know if I can believe what I'm hearing on the news. I don't know if I can believe from my neighbor. I don't know if I can believe that thing that dude told me the other day, but I know that I can believe God's word. Facts, 100%. That I can trust in. And so when things are crazy and you go, oh, I don't really know what to believe, believe God's word. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not for thy understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll take care of the rest. He'll He'll give you a path to follow. So in times of instability, oh, I got to anchor. It's strong. It's steadfast. It's sure. I can trust it. And it's going to lead me to where I need to go. Final thought. Amidst the storms of life, we need to an anchor fastened to a solid rock. One time I went out with my peepaw fishing when I was a kid. I was a little bitty guy. And um. He had one of those uh, fishing boats, you know, with a little trolling motor on the side and, and stuff like that. And he had a, a, the fish finder I thought was fascinating. You know, I'm sitting there watching this thing. They're trying to figure out where fish are. I'm looking over the side of the boat. and Of course, it was Kentucky Lake, and it was had about uh, three inches of visibility, I think, probably. It was green. as a gourd, and it's just nasty lake water. But I was fascinated by being out there. And so he said, hey, Anthony, uh, can you put the, the anchor down? Uh, we're going to stay right here for a minute. It's okay. So I don't know if you remember the anchors. It looked like a little plate on the bottom. It has like a little. In the top there, and a the little piece of rope that you throw it over the edge, a little bitty anchor. And so I thought to myself, well, theres I don't know if there's enough rope in here to go all the way to the bottom, so I'll put the anchor out a little bit of the way. And so I put the anchor down, I don't know, probably five feet or so, and just let it hang off the side of the boat and tied it off. <laughs> and we're out there fishing, and the boat keeps drifting, boat keeps drifting, boat keeps drifting. My people are well, like, did you put the anchor down? Yeah. He was like, why are we still moving? I don't know. And so he goes over and he's like, the anchor's not down. What's well, down like five feet. It has to go down to the bottom. Well, I didn't want to lose it. I'm not going to lose it. It goes down to the bottom. It gets stuck in the bottom of the lake bed, and it doesn't allow you to drift. Oh, okay. I just thought the anchor was supposed to be heavy and just like hold you in place. No, the anchor has to be fastened to something. Here's a crazy thought. Some of you have an anchor that you're just thrown out in the water, and it's just like going this way. waving out in the water out there, and you're just drifting along. Well, I got my anchor out. What's it connected to? Oh, it's connected to my social media feed, and everything that I see on that influences me the direction that I'm supposed to go. Oh, it's connected to my parents. And so my parents kind of give me advice and guidance and show me where to go. Hey, one of these days, your folks are gonna die. One of these days, you're gonna be able to lean on your grandma's faith. One of these days, they're not going to be able to say, because my pastor told me so. You need to have an anchor that's down somewhere, connected to something. But many times, people don't have an anchor connected to a solid rock. What they're connected to is something that doesn't even hold. Oh, my anchor is my family. We're a tight knit group, and my anchor is my marriage. What happens when your marriage struggles? What's holding you together then? When you have a kid that goes wayward, what holds your family together then? When things aren't well in the house, what happens then? You lose your job. You've got to travel too much for work. What's your, where's your anchor then? we got to be tied off to something that's solid, that doesn't change, that's, oh, here's a good Bible word for you, that's immutable, unchanging, always good. And if you put your anchor in Jesus Christ, I tell you this, it's going to hold 50 years from now. You can, you're good for this week for sure. When the world burns, God's word will still stand. That's an anchor you can hang on to for a minute. But some of you here today, maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again you don't have an anchor. Like, I don't have a hope in Jesus Christ. I don't even know who Jesus is. Friend, you need to be born again today. You need to receive Christ as Savior. You need to confess your sin before God and receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You'll have an anchor like you've never had before, ever. And your life will change forever for the positive, but some of us are here this morning, we've been saved and born again, but we got our anchor, we pulled it up a little ways because we don't want to maybe put too much out there. Some of us are still trying to find our footing in our faith for ourselves. Well, I don't want to go all in as a Christian. I'm going to go a little bit of the way. Hey, G, uh, the Bible tells us in First John, if you decide you want to be a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. If you decide you want to live as a Christian this year in 2022, I'm talking about, hammer down, get it done. Drop an anchor, connect to the solid rock, put some roots down. Some of you need to grow in the area of your church attendance, get on it. Some of you need to grow in the area of Bible reading, get on it. Some of you need to spend quality time in prayer, get on it. Some of you need to to be faithful in your tithes and your offerings, get on it. Man, whatever God's challenging you with, get on it. Maybe you need to, to join our church for church membership and put your feet down, put your roots down, start serving, get involved. So if you need to be in a small group, get after it, get on it. Because you have an anchor. It's sure and steadfast and it will carry you the whole way. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast.